0: Oh, good morning. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity uh, on this Mission Sunday to share with you. It's a real privilege uh, for us to be with you. Noel and I uh, finished a five-year part-time assignment out at the Montrose Church of Christ in February. And since then, we've uh, had taken a a couple of holidays, uh, did some moonlighting at various churches to see what God is doing, and uh, and then we joined the churches of Christ uh, supporting regional churches. We did a month or so out at Yarra Junction, then surprise, surprise, they asked us to assist at the Cross Culture Point Cook Church, which is a church plant uh, from the City Church, and they have also planted one at Tarnit recently. So, uh, Cross Culture has spread its wings a little. Uh, it's not exactly a regional area, uh, but wow, how it's changed. When uh, Nancy and I grew up in the West, uh, you, you don't recognise it out in Point Cook these days. You very easily get lost even when you're following the, G's, uh, the, G's, uh, the GPS. Uh, we started on the first Sunday out of October and we'll probably go through until after Christmas. The new team leader, the new team senior pastor will be inducted on the 19th of November, at the church's 15th anniversary. So we'll be with them then. There's three reasons we love coming to Monty. The first is to get to, I get to catch up, we get to catch up with my sister Nancy, who is a legend for her support of her family and her partnership here at the Monty Church family. Uh, secondly, it reminds us of the vision for and the very significant part you have played with the ministry of MMN and the privilege that we had to be part of that life transforming kingdom ministry. And thirdly, your heart for mission, both local and global. I see Monty as a community whose passion is to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to make Christ known locally and globally. And uh, pardon me if i haven 't quite got all the, uh, the the logos of the places that you support the ministries that you support, but here it is just uh, it 's the majority of the ones. I was going to run a bit of a, a quiz to see if you could name the people who are in those logos, but Oh, uh, Josh gave a very good summary uh, at the beginning of the, the meeting, but it, it's quite amazing uh, what you guys do and, and locally, of course, with your play group, your kids' hope, your kids' club, uh, and your opportunities to build relationships with people and to share faith is quite uh, extraordinary and I believe some thirty plus thousand dollars goes towards local and global mission per and so that's an amazing contribution that you make to the kingdom from Monty. One of the celebration points this year has been the release of a couple of people who were taken captive. I don't know whether you can read that, but you may recall that back in January 2016, Dr Kenneth Elliott, who was 88 years old, uh, and his wife Jocelyn uh, were captured by al-Qaeda uh, in the uh, country of Burkina Faso. Do you remember that incident? And uh, a lot of us were praying for them. And so uh, on uh, the 1st of May, uh, we were able to celebrate the fact that that they they were freed. They uh, had been involved in, uh, they were abducted, and that day that they were abducted in Burkina uh, Uh, Burkina Faso, uh, there were 30 people killed in a terrorist attack on a restaurant and a hotel. Uh, Kenneth and Jocelyn Elliott uh, had lived in Burkina Faso since 1972 and they'd built a medical clinic for up to 120 patients and Dr Elliott had reportedly been the only surgeon across an area containing some two million people. And so they'd had uh, just an amazing uh, ministry. And so it was uh, just uh, they were abducted in January 2016. And then uh, they uh, had a change of heart and they allowed Jocelyn to come back to Western Australia. And then just this year they released uh, Dr Elliot and he's back uh, with the family now in Western Australia and they're very grateful uh, for the work that uh, uh, the Australian government did to try and get their release. And so uh, an answer to prayer. There are many people praying for them and uh, that's a, a wonderful uh, end to a very traumatic time. Uh, my aim this morning uh, is to inspire us to live our lives with a single passion for displaying God's excellence and as we strive to fight the good fight finish the race and keep the faith and i would like to just share if you open your bibles to second uh, timothy chapter 4 uh, there was a little bit of mistranslation i'm sorry for the lady who read it was the second timothy chapter 4 that i'd passed on and somewhere in the translation down the line it got a little bit lost so uh, let's just open your bible to Uh, chapter 4 of 2nd Timothy and I'll read that scripture to you now. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus we will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom I give you this charge preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So my aim this morning is to inspire us to live our lives with a single passion for displaying God's excellence as we strive to fight the good fight, finish our race, and keep the faith. The Apostle Paul, nearing the end of his earthly ministry and his journey, gives us some profound insights. I've noticed over the years that people who accomplish significant things are often passionate people. They're passionate about their job, their family, their hobby, or their friends. In fact, they're even often passionate about their nutrition and their exercise. Uh, In fact, I don't know whether any of you know Joy Farmer. Joy and Ron Farmer were uh, with us up at uh, Whittlesey uh, with MMM. And and Joy's a real character. She's got an amazing sense of humour and she's remembered our birthdays ever since we've left MMM. And she, oh, a card arrives. A card arrived uh, during the week for Nola's birthday this week. And at the bottom of it, she's always got some, you know, quip. And she says, uh, I can't believe that I forgot the gym today, she says. Uh, I forgot to go to gym today. And that's the seventh year in a row, she says. <laughs> <laughs> So, so in fact, often people are passionate about all these different things and they they never see their work as a job, but they see it as a calling. They see it as a quest. They see it as, as a mission, and that motivates them. So I'm encouraging you this morning to do a variety of things, both in work, in play, and in family. But allocate your energy so you can do everything you do, including rest and relaxation, With passion. John Wesley once said, this is the circuit-riding preacher, he said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come for miles to watch you burn. (laughs) And so if you can imagine the circuit-riding preacher, yeah. Passion uh, allows your mission and purpose to advance. May we passionately pursue the readiness of the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. And that's the challenge of the church. In verses 7 and 8 of our scripture reading, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper reminds us, God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all spheres of life. And that, my friends, is what Paul is talking about here. When he's talking about finishing the race with joy, fulfilling the ministry or purpose that God has given to us and facing the judgment with confidence in Christ's righteousness and not our own. We divide this passage into two parts. First verses 1 to 5 and then 6 to 8. First we see to preach the word. In this chapter, Paul cha- charges Timothy. Paul might have considered this somewhat of a, of a passing of the baton to Timothy as his successor in this particular ministry. This chapter makes it clear that Paul expects he will die soon. He expresses a desire for Timothy's company and a few physical comforts in his last days on earth. Now Paul gives Timothy what appears to be an ordination of sorts, perhaps passing the baton of ministry leadership. Paul begins this, his chapter to Timothy with this preamble, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul is charging Timothy in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Paul is not the authority. He's not the authority who will judge whether or not Timothy faithfully discharges his assigned responsibilities. It is Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. Paul is making clear to Timothy that it won't be him to whom Timothy will give an account. Timothy will give an account to Christ himself. The way for Timothy to endure faithfully is to continue to discharge his gifting to serve the body of Christ. For Timothy, given his gifts and calling, which includes the following list, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, all with great patience and instruction. Timothy is to have a sense of urgency in training those around him for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People will not always be open to listening to what is true. There will come a time when men will refuse to listen to teaching that is sound or true. Instead, they will desire to have their ears tickled, Paul says, rather than wanting to hear what is true They will want to hear what validates what they already believe. And I guess we could probably say in the the cancel culture that we face today, the moment that you provide an element, whether it's true or not, that others disagree with, you are cancelled, they will not listen. They will not even get involved in a debate to look at another viewpoint. And so we're we're talking about the day and age in which we live today. Accordingly, these men who want to have their wicked behaviour accommodated will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They will find teachers that tell them it is good for them to fulfil their lusts. As a result, these men will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul said. They are not seeking the truth. The truth reproves and corrects. They prefer to be affirmed. Paul exhorts Timothy to avoid such foolishness. Seeking those who tell you what you want to hear is common, but it is foolish. Paul exhorts Timothy to rather be sober in all things, to endure hardship, to do the work of an evangelist, And to fulfil his ministry. One of the reasons people desire to be affirmed is because being reproved and corrected is hard. Change is difficult. It is often more comfortable in the short run to live in a false reality. To be sober is to see reality as it is. To be drunk is to enter a false reality. And people are consumed by that false reality. Then in verses 6 to 8, we find four things. First, finishing the race. In the apostles' word, words, I have finished the race, verse 7, there is a profound sense of completion, of fulfilment, and of purpose Achieved. This is not a statement of exhaustion or defeat, but rather one of triumph and one of satisfaction. It is the declaration of a man who has run his course with diligence and perseverance, not allowing the obstacles and challenges along the way to deter him from his God-given mission. When Paul talks about finishing the race, he is not merely referring to the end of his life, Rather, he is speaking about the completion of the mission God had given him. This mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And this was not an easy task. It involved numerous hardships, including beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks. Yet Paul remained steadfast in his commitment to fulfil his mission. He did not allow the difficulties he faced to deter him from his course. Instead, he pressed on, keeping his eyes fixed on the prize that he refers to as a crown of righteousness promised by God. Secondly, oh, oh sorry, yes I'll go back. Yes, finishing the race is not about speed. I've summarised it on the slide above, but about endurance. It's not about how quickly we can get to the finish line but about whether we stay the course despite the obstacles and the challenges and the opposition that we face. It's about remaining faithful to God and the mission that he has given to us even when the going gets tough. It's about persevering in the face of the trials and the tribulations and trusting in God's strength and guidance to see us through. Finishing the race involves living a life of integrity and faithfulness to God's word. It's about staying true to our beliefs and values when we're being challenged and ridiculed by the world around us. It's about living out our faith in our daily lives and showing the love of Christ in all our actions and our attitudes. It's about being a light in a dark world, destroying the darkness of the world with the light of Jesus Christ, pointing others to the hope and the salvation found in him. Finishing the race is about leaving a legacy of faith for future generations. Just as Paul passed on his faith to Timothy and others, we too are called to pass on our faith to those who come after us. We are called to be mentors and role models, showing others what it means to live a life of faith and a devotion to God. Secondly, we note a fulfilling ministry. Fulfilling the ministry is the idea of completing the work that God has set before us, just as Paul did. It's not about achieving worldly success or recognition, but about being faithful to the task God has entrusted to us. The ministry that each of us is called to fulfil may look different. For some of us it may be serving in the church. For others it may be raising godly children or or working with integrity in a regular job. Or, Regardless of the form it takes, fulfilling the ministry is about living out our faith in practical everyday ways so that others will see Jesus in us. The renowned theologian C.S. Lewis once said, the work of Beethoven and the work of a cleaner become spiritual on precisely the same condition that of being offered to God, of being done humbly as to the Lord. This quote beautifully illustrates the concept of fulfilling the ministry. It's not about what we do, but about who we do it for. Whether we are composing a symphony or scrubbing floors, our work becomes spiritual when it is done for the glory of God. And some of us may feel inferior, we may feel that we haven't got a lot to, to offer, but when we do what God has placed in our hands, in our sphere of influence, no matter how big or small that is, we do it for his glory and that's our purpose. Fulfilling the ministry requires perseverance, it requires humility and a deep reliance on God's grace. It's about continually striving to live in a way that reflects the love and grace of Christ and being willing to use our gifts and talents to serve others so that they will be blessed. It is about running the race set before us with endurance, keeping our eyes Fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then thirdly, facing the judgment. Facing the judgment is a concept that can be intimidating or even frightening for many. However, Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, give us a different perspective. He speaks of a crown of righteousness, that is laid up for him which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to him on that day. It's not, a, bad, it's not a, a day of dread, but a day of reward. Paul's confidence in facing judgments comes from his faith in Christ's righteousness, not his own. He recognises that he could never earn this crown through his own efforts or his own good deeds It is a gift from God given to those who have loved his appearing. This phrase speaks of an eager anticipation for Christ's return, a longing for his presence. It's a love that is born out of a personal relationship with Jesus, not a fear of punishment. This crown is not only for Paul, but for all who have loved his appearing. This is a promise for all believers. We can face judgment with confidence, not because we are perfect or because we have done everything right, but because we have placed our faith in the perfect righteousness of Christ. He has paid the penalty for our sin and his righteousness is credited to us when we believe in him. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. It's not about what we can do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. We don't have to fear judgment because our judge is also our saviour. He knows our weaknesses, he knows our failures, yet he loves us and he gave himself for us. His perfect love casts out fear. So when we think about facing the judgment, let's remember Paul's words. Let's remember the crown of righteousness that is waiting for us. Let's remember the love we have for his appearing and let us remember the righteousness of Christ which is our only hope and confidence in that day. Now what is our take-home message, our application of this for you and I today? I want to share with you five principles of how to reach pre-believers locally and globally. Last week at Point Cook we had one of our global partners uh, share with us who's involved in the Japanese diaspora here in Melbourne. He spent some years in Japan, and as he concluded his message, he, he outlined these four things that he's using as, as he reaches out to the Japanese uh, in Melbourne. And uh, with his permission, I'm going to share those with you this morning because they're very practical, uh, and they're ways in which we can build relationships with our family, with our neighbours, with our work colleagues... Uh, in a way uh, that will help them to see the truth uh, of Jesus. And so uh, first uh, principle is that God's heart is for the foreigner or the refugee. God's heart is for those outside of faith. God's heart is for the refugee. Leviticus 19:34 says the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt and I am the Lord your God. Now when we talk about uh, refugees or foreigners, you know, uh, we are blessed in Melbourne to be one of the most multicultural people uh, uh, places in the world and and where people from From hundreds, literally 160 nations, are are represented in our suburbs of Melbourne, and sometimes that's something to be afraid of because it's we we don't know them, but we need to, uh, you know, step out of our comfort zone and build those relationships so that we can go to get to understand them and to and to minister to them, and so that's God's heart for those people, and we need to have the same heart. For them, the second principle is meeting felt needs, and this is a scripture that I love: Luke 10, verses eight and nine. When you enter a town and are welcome, this is preparing uh, the, the seventy that he sent out. He said, "Eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you." Right now, there's a very uh, positive thing: you know, uh, share a meal. Meeting the felt needs You know I remember way back When I first went to Papua New Guinea uh, To help build the Christian Leaders Training College I was at a place called Ballymore down in Papua And uh, I was being I was in a sort of a long house uh, You know squatted on the floor And I was being served delicacies from the local community And along came a delicacy that looked like a witchetty grub A huge Wick chitty grub and, uh, and the floor was uh, of the palm branches there and, and, uh, and I got halfway through it and then I, I dropped the head down through, uh, the, the palm and all the chooks underneath went, <laughs> so, so I was sprung bad uh, as to not finishing that delicacy that, uh, that I had. But, but here's the principle. You know, uh, have a meal with people. Invite people home. And in the privacy of your home or, or at the restaurant, you, you eat together, you heal the sick and you tell them that the kingdom of God is near. What a, a, an amazing principle that that is as we interact with people through our various outreaches in this community and abroad. Uh, thirdly, ministry outreach through community, First Peter 3.15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that's a role for each one of us as we interact with people. Fourthly, uh, Hebrews four two. It's using the Scripture in the heart language. Being able to share the scriptures in a language that people understand. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's, we share the word, not just our word about our faith, but we share the word. So they read it and the spirit of God can touch and transform. And prayer is the key. Uh, Graham shared the wonderful story about the guys at 5 o'clock in the morning in the Philippines. Uh, James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And prayer is the key. You know, as we uh, have concern for our community, we prayer walk the community to pray that God will give us insight, on site with insight as to what the needs of those people are. That we pray for those who are serving the community, whether it be the education, whether it be business, uh, whether it be the medical clinic, whatever it may be, the school, through education. We pray for those institutions that are building up the community and serving the community and we pray. And as we pray for them, we will see God blessing them and we will be blessed for them. And so, yeah, uh, five key principles that I hope you and I will be able to uh yeah apply to our own lives so uh, help yeah help you and i to finish the race uh, joyfully spreading passion for god's glory john uh, piper once said where passion for god is weak zeal for mission will be weak your task my task is to spread passion for God's glory. May they see it in our eyes, they see it on our face, the joy that we have in serving our Lord and Master. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for creating us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display your supreme excellence in all spheres of life. Help us to finish our race with joy Fulfill our purpose and our ministry that you have given to us so that we can face the judgment with confidence in Christ's righteousness, not just our own, but the righteousness of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And so we ask now that as we go into the week, knowing that we are loved perfectly, saved eternally, and empowered as a follower of Jesus to share God's love, with those that we meet. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Yeah, God bless you.